So we're continuing, obviously, in the book of Joshua. This has been a tremendous, tremendous study. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it has been awesome. I have looked at this book with new eyes, and it has just absolutely blown me away. What we are right now, those of you that maybe don't have an idea what's going on, the Israelites at this point in time, they've, they've crossed into the promised land. Their leader, Joshua, Joshua is the Hebrew rendering of the name of the name Jesus. And Jesus, or Joshua, their leader, has taken them into the promised land. And what's happened is they're facing off against opposition. God's enemies have possession of the land. So what they're having to do is they're having to face off against those enemies. And what we saw was their very first obstacle was the city of Jericho. Jericho, which we know in, from our study, is a picture of the world. It is a representation of the world. But what happened was God told them that they were to possess this land. God gave them miraculous instructions on exactly what they should do. If they would just faithfully follow through what he had told them to do, they would have victory. So at this point in time, Jericho has fallen. Now immediately after that, what we saw was the fact that God started through Joshua. He confronted the people. He, he talked to them. And we saw in that message last week, which was called um, uh, corruption or glorification, what we saw was the fact that what Joshua was doing in the beginning was he was warning them about what was to come. And then we also studied that message, the blessing of what had actually occurred and the, and the result of that, of that victory. But we saw last week the warning of corruption, and we saw the glorification of faithfulness. And in Joshua 6.26, we heard that warning. And what Joshua did was he actually warned the people about rebuilding the city, because if they did rebuild the city, there would be a curse upon them and upon their families. And what we saw is the fact that through this victory, what God was showing was the fact that he had given a miraculous victory over wickedness. He'd given a miraculous victory in a stronghold that they had in their promised land. You and I as believers, we're walking with God. If we walk in fellowship with God, we are in the abundant life with Christ. We're in our promised land, which is where a place we're in fellowship with him. So what happens is we look at this and we go, okay, God destroyed Jericho for them. He did it. And what he's telling them is like, don't go back and rebuild it. Don't go back and rebuild it. Don't rebuild it. Don't put what's one stone upon another. Don't revisit the site. Don't do anything. Don't make that place special because I destroyed it for a reason. And we correlate that to our lives and our walk. What God's saying is, you know what? Hey, if I destroy evil in your life, you've got a besetting sin. You've got something that's got a stronghold on you. When I bring a miraculous victory and destroy it, don't go back to it. Don't rebuild it. Don't revisit it. It is destroyed for a reason. And if you do rebuild it, there will be destructive consequences. And what we saw in our message was 500 years after that message, that warning was given, there was a guy named Hael. And Hael said, you know what? I'm going to rebuild the city. Hey, I'm going to do it. And what we found was the fact that he did, he, he literally suffered, uh, suffered the loss of his children because he made that choice. He literally took worldly success because recognize Jericho was a rich place. It's called the city of palms. Water supply, great resources. It was a rich and abundant land. And he saw that and he said, there's a great opportunity. Disregard the warning and understand the fact that here we see that prophecy was literally to the letter was fulfilled. And we look at this and we go, okay, comparing the fact that as time went on, uh, we looked at what the impact on his family, but we looked at as in our lives where people take their priorities and they shift it off of family and they put it on the world. And the byproduct of that is the fact that when we set our hearts and minds and desires towards the things of the world in neglect of our family, there are destructive consequences. We've all heard stories of families that a mom or a dad were just completely absent from the home. So many times fathers get consumed with their work and they go, you know what, I'm providing for my family, I'm providing for my family, I'm providing for my family, and disregard their responsibility to lead their families, to protect their families, to guard them and be a spiritual influence in their lives. And because of that, the byproduct is destruction. And we understood this and we contrast this warning that they were given to Galatians 6, 8. And we looked at that verse last week. And it says, it says, for he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. What it's saying is, listen, fleshly efforts, listen, fleshly efforts deliver carnal results. They always do. They don't have a long term. They don't have an eternal impact. But understand, so what our heart has to do is simply say, you know what? Hey, as I recognize this truth, I also need to get here in that verse. That there's also a wonderful encouragement in that verse. The backside of it said this, but he that soweth to the Spirit Shall of, the, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. There was that glorification of faithfulness. Listen, if you'll walk with God, if you'll do things God's way. What's so cool about this is we saw that Joshua's fame was noised throughout the country. He became famous. 
And we saw that the identity of the Israelites, which had started off as a fighting force, they, people were afraid of the Israelites, their, their fame, the Israelites' fame was spread. Then what happened was, as Jericho fell through and everything that happened there and their faithfulness was shown, their identity shifted. And no longer was it about the Israelites receiving glory, but it was about Joshua receiving glory. And we correlated that to us as believers. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go out and do the work of the Lord. We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to, to do the work of God. We're supposed to proclaim the truth, not so that we get credit but so that God gets credit, so that the Lord Jesus becomes famous, not that we become famous. The problem we have in our culture today is all these preachers that want to become famous. Everybody wants their name posted everywhere. Everyone see posters of themselves. Look, I don't need a poster of them. I need a poster that says Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Right. Listen, people don't need to know who we are. They need to know who He is. We're not a solution. Amen. We're not a solution. Follow me and follow. You take me. I'll take you straight to hell, man. But follow the Lord Jesus Christ, man. He can, do, he can redeem the lost. He can change the heart of a broken man. And so what we look at in this is the fact that when we shift the focus onto ourselves, all that we do becomes for ourselves and not for Him. Right. And that's, that's the danger. Everything we should do should lift the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He should be noised throughout the country. It should be His name. And what we see is the fact that the problem that we struggle with is the, 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 the war, we, have something we all deal with, the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Because our flesh wants credit so bad. But what happens is God's saying, hey, you know what? Listen, there's a battle within you and you need to recognize it. Galatians 5, 17, we looked at this. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other. There's a battle inside of you. Right? And it says that you cannot do the things that you would. The things that God created you to do, which is to live a life that glorifies him. You are unable to do it because you're in a constant conflict. And it's that conflict between the flesh and the spirit, man, that makes us ineffective for the work of God. God's given us talents, abilities, and skills, and we get so busy using them for ourselves or using them for the world that they don't get used for God. Right. It's amazing how, God, how the devil's been so successful at drawing us away from the things of God, the very things we were created to do. And it's the daily skirmishes that take part in our hearts every day that make us ineffective. They're the very things that draw us away from where we should be effective for the cause of Christ and we should be doing things that bring glory to God's name. We end up doing them for ourselves and we lose sight of why we were created. And so as we understand this is the reality as we live our lives and we get caught up in self, God's work does not get done and he gets no recognition. It becomes all about us. So with that foundational understanding of the ongoing struggle that's taking place between all and all of us, even right now, y'all are struggling to pay attention. Turns out I have a voice that comforts people. It really, really is terrible. <laughs> I wish my voice was grating and you were just like, God can't stand, but I can't listen to him. I'm telling you, perfect, perfect example. It's not my message, but when I go to sit with Granny, and I'm like, Granny, you want me to read to you? She's like, sure. One line in. She's snoring. I'm like, <laughs> my wife, she's like, she's like, you pray for us, baby. I'm okay. I start praying. Two or three lines in. She's gone. I'm like, man. So, so my point is this. Don't get too comfortable with what I'm going to talk about. But, but as you're dealing with your flesh and your spirit, and they're, the two are battling, you're going, look, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. Do your best to listen because I'm telling you, this spoke to me. If it doesn't speak to you guys, it spoke to me. Because what we're going to talk about is deal with that, that struggle, that issue, that, fi that fight that's going on. Because the message today is called Sin in the Camp. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. Thank you, Lord, for your message, uh, for your word. Thank you for the truth, uh, Lord, that is available to us, that you have preserved through time. Thank you for the spirit that helps us discern and understand it. God, I do pray today that you help us to have ears to hear and hearts that are receptive for truth. Lord, uh, I pray that you help me to get out of the way. You know, I desperately desire that you would receive glory through this. I don't want to be seen. So, Lord, please help me uh, through your power to do just what you would ask me to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter 7, we're only going to verse 1 today. It says this, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing, for Achan, the son of Cormai, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. So in this opening statement, we see that the faithful Israelites have become unfaithful. Sin has been committed. And as we're going to move forward in chapter number seven, we're going to see this whole far-reaching impact of sin and the fact that the effect that it's going to have on believers. But today, as we go through this, we're going to look at three different points. We're going to look at, first of all, the revelation of sin. We'll look at the accountability of sin. And then we're going to look at the consequences of sin. Now, the failure did not take place 
in the assembly of the men and women or the men that were going to fight. It did not take place in the circling of the city. The failure did not take place at the fall of the wall that fell at Jericho. They had been faithful up to that point. What we see here is the Israelites up to this point have been united and observing God's command. But what does it say? But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. What this line tells us is that the failure took place once all those things had taken place. Now it comes down to this. Don't touch the riches of Jericho because there's not for you. What we'll find as we do this study through the book of Joshua, this is the only time when God told them not to touch it. This is the only time. After that, guess what? It's, it's fair game. But the problem with our flesh is our flesh wants what it wants, wants what it wants, when it wants it. Right. It wants to establish it. And guess what? It's very impatient. So we find as Achan was unfortunately very impatient. And we see here in Jericho the picture of the world. And what we saw is there's a trespass. This is the where he falls prey to worldly lust. Remember, Jericho is a picture of the world. He's going to fall prey to the lusts for the things of the world. Notice this. He gave us a warning when we were in our message, Off Limits, which is about six, seven weeks ago. In that message, we heard the warning that God set the boundaries. It was in Joshua chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. It says, And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to the Lord, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Verse 18. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the, from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed, when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Notice the next verse. And all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Remember that these people are nomads. They don't have a whole lot. They've lived without for, for 40 years. They've lived out in the middle of nowhere. And here we are in this wealthy city. All this abundance right before their eyes. Sounds familiar, huh? We look at the abundance of our country. Why do you think Hael wanted to rebuild it? Because it was a rich place. But preemptively, God warned them before they got into the city. He laid out the warning. He spelled out the consequences of what would happen if they did what, they, what he has done. He's told them. See, Jericho is their first big test. Realize it, guys, every day we're tested. Every day things are set in front of us. Our neighbor gets a new car. Gosh, come check it out. Wow, man, that's nice. Man, honey, you know what? My car's looking ragged, you know what I'm saying? Baby, you know, I mean, did you see that? That's, man, the seats, that whatever they were doing, that's awesome, dude. I need that. Right? We start to become, what's the word I'm looking for? Envious. Envious. All those are great. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Fit them all in there. Yes. That's what we start to do. We start to become that kind of person. And what happened was God warned me. He said, look, because you're going to be in a situation, you're going to be tempted. Just so you know up front, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. So we look at this and we go, right. Now remember, the Israelites are a picture of us. So even in Achan, we see ourselves. Because what happens is he's been told exactly what to do and he's going to choose to do the wrong thing. And it's very easy for us to put ourselves in a place of judgment and go, ah. I mean, it's so clear. God laid out the parameters and he just did it anyway. Ah, that guy deserves whatever comes to him. Okay? But remember, we're also pictured in that. Think about this. When we were little kids, how many of us remember when you were a kid where your parents said, look, do not... Do not do whatever they tell you. And they give you up. They set a boundary. And then they leave the room. And what happens? We're in it, man. We're right in the thick of it. And then we get busted. And we get punished. And we're like, oh. Now, do we learn? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but let me ask you this. How many of us have ever gotten a speeding ticket? Or any kind of moving violation? Be honest. Yeah, right? But didn't we know? We saw it on the sign. Don't go beyond that speed. Yet we were like, ah, you know, it's just a suggestion, I think. Right? And, and we think, we go, well, okay. But then let's, let's compare it to what, what God tells us. Right? Doesn't God set boundaries for us? Yeah, he does. He establishes our boundaries. He sets it up and says, you know what? Hey, this is what I expect of, of you. This is where I want you, want you to be. And what happens is we have a tendency, unfortunately, to... Uh, to jump outside of those boundaries. And what we see here is the fact that this, 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 this problem, this trespass in the accursed thing, what we see is verse 1 tells us that it's still hidden. Because what we find is the fact that the only people that know about this are God and Achan. The people don't know. Joshua doesn't know. Joshua's going to be floored by this when he hears what's going to go on. And God's going to reveal the truth. He's going to show what's going on in his way and in his time. But we see the fact that it uses this term trespass. 
At this point, again, it's hidden from Joshua. It's hidden from the people. And we wonder why God uses the term trespass. Recognize the fact that God established boundaries. Did he not? He told them what they should do and what they should not do. If I come to your house and I'm going to step into your yard, but there's a sign posted right at the edge of your yard, what does it say? No trespassing. I have established a boundary of my property. You are not to step over that boundary. And if you are, you are in the midst of a trespass. God has established the boundary. And we look at this and we go, okay. Now, what's interesting is the word trespass shows up 94 times in Scripture. The word sin shows up 1,016 times in Scripture. They're interesting. They work together, but guess what? They have, they have different meanings. Because the trespass is to overstep a boundary. Sin is to miss a mark. If you were to have a, a, a target on the wall... The word sin comes from archery. And if you fire at the target and you hit the bullseye, good deal. But if you miss the bullseye, that is called a sin. So the, the godly righteousness is the bullseye. And every time you and I shoot and we hit and we miss, we have sinned. We have missed the mark. We are not who it is we are supposed to be. And we see the two of these working together. And I, I just simply want to cover that. So understand the fact that God uses his terminology for a reason. Why does he use trespass here? Because he said, hey, look, I gave you parameters. I set up the boundaries and I warned you. And you decided to look at that boundary and go, you know what? I can step over it. I can overstep that bound. And what we find is the fact that here there's a secret trespass against God. And what's cool is, in fact, like I said, God's going to reveal it. But there's an important principle about this revelation that we're going to look at concerning ungodliness and its exposure. And understand, Moses, we're going to, we're going to look at a verse real quick. Moses, at this point in time, I'm getting ready to quote, he's in the wilderness, and he's addressing uh, the two and a half tribes uh, of the Israelites that decided they're going to stay on that side of the Jordan. And he says, look, these are the parameters of what you're to do and how you're to follow through. And if you don't do it, this is what's going to happen. Notice this. It's going to be in Numbers 32, 23. He says this, but if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and notice this last part, and be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. Listen, even if we're successful in hiding our sin from everyone on this entire earth, it does not matter because God will reveal it. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 12, verses 2 through 5. For there is nothing covered... That shall not be revealed, neither hid, that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which ye have spoken in the ear and closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, here he goes, listen to this warning. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Listen to verse 5. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. I'm going to give you a boundary. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Yes. He said, you're accountable to God. If he sets a boundary and you overstep it, you will answer to him. And we consider this Joshua 7.1. And we remind ourselves in Scripture, again, that we're that picture, we're that believer. And what we look is the fact that God is expecting, whether or not we've hidden, we believe we've, so many times we think that we hide our sin. Mm. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I mean, it was just me. I was in the car by myself. No big deal. Or we've got a besetting sin that we're actually involved in. Who knows what filth people can be involved in. And we'll say, you know, hey, you know what? my spouse doesn't know. My parents don't know. My siblings don't know. My best friend doesn't know. My kids don't know. I've hidden it from everyone. And you know what we can tell ourselves that that's true? We've hid it. Yep. Nobody knows. We can convince ourselves that it's true. Yep. But can I tell you that, listen, Galatians 6, 7 says this, be not deceived. Okay? Mm -hmm. We might say it like this, don't fool yourself. Yeah. Don't fool yourself. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And listen, even if we keep it hidden all of our lives, and no one ever knows, ultimately God will reveal it. We'll get busted by God himself. Now, he may reveal it on earth, but then again, he may not. But can I promise you, when, when one day when we stand before the Lord, accountable for the life that we lived, recognize we'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ. That's not for the unbeliever. That's for the believer. 
And what the Bible talks about that is we're going to give an account for the life we lived after salvation. God's going to go, okay, I saved you. You're now my child. Now what are you going to do with this life that I've given you? You're going to get 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Run. Run for me. Do this for me. Let's see what you accomplish. That's what it's judging. It's not judging our sin. It's judging our, our service. And what we find is the fact that so many people believe that they've convinced themselves that they're doing right even when they've accepted sin in their lives. And what we see is the fact that bottom line is there's going to be a day when people will stand ashamed before the God of the universe. And God will bring out all the sordid details. All the things that we wanted to keep hidden were brought out of the darkness and into the light. The Bible says that men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. Why do you think crime increases at night? Because people want it to be hidden. And when we have sin in our lives, guess what? We want to keep it hidden in the shadows. And what we find is the fact that God is going to, he's going to judge us. He's going to judge us on how we served him. Again, it's not our sin. Your sins were judged at the cross. They were judged. Christ took, as we saw in that song, he bore our sins. He became sin for us. He bore the, the weight. The price has been paid. But the service that we have unto God, God's going to judge that. Which brings us to the accountability of sin. Notice that the accountability of this trespass at this point in time is on everybody, right? It's upon the Israelites. God's going to name names. We already saw that. We see he's going to call them out. And in time, that will happen. But what we're going to do is today, we're going to look at the collective accountability as well as the individual accountability. So it says here, but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. You see, the collective identity they have in their faithfulness, they also carry in their unfaithfulness. God sees them as a whole and we see here that a body of believers has a shared accountability. So the sin that has defiled the individual has also defiled the camp. Remember, it says that the camp would be not only accursed, but it would also be troubled. And his innocent brothers are now standing accountable for something they don't even know about. But see, interesting enough, God teaches us in Galatians 5.9, it says, A little leaven leaveneth a whole lump. That leaven, when the Bible uses the word leaven, it's referencing, it uses as an example of sin. It's talking about sin. If I take yeast, I don't know anything about baking whatsoever. My daughter bakes, and I watch her do it. But I know at some point in time, they take this little tiny packet or whatever it is, and they put it in this big ball of stuff, and they stick it off to the side and put a rag over it, and later on, it's like, poosh, it blows up. Not just in one section, but the whole thing blows up. And what it's saying is the fact that when you integrate sin into the body, guess what it does? It affects the whole body. Amen. It's like a little bit of poison. Guess what a little bit of poison? It doesn't just poison your tongue, it poisons your your whole body. And what this whole warning is the fact that, hey, listen, there's secret sin. And because of that, it's infecting the entire camp. The judgment of God is going to come upon all of them. Joshua 16, remember 618, this was the warning. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it, the entire camp. The entire camp is impacted by this act of disobedience. And what we'll soon see is the fact that God is going to take his hand of blessing off of them. Man, they've been rocking and rolling. They've been just boom, boom, rolling on, rolling on, rolling on. When they're faithful to God, boom, boom, man, it's nothing can stop them. But integrate a little bit of unrighteousness. And suddenly, God takes his hand off of them. And what we'll find is the fact that, yes, God does miraculous things. And he's doing a mighty work in their lives, but at the same time, he's never going to reward their unfaithfulness. God doesn't reward unrighteousness. He never does, and he never, ever will. Mm -hmm. And what happens is so many times we can literally be living in unrighteousness, and we're frustrated by the fact that, wow, you know what? It doesn't feel like God's really directing my life. I don't feel like my wife, my walk is as sweet as it could be. Listen, if we've got sin in our lives, God is not going to bless it. Does that mean he's going to strike us dead in the moment? No. Because sometimes our sin, our failure is the very thing that we need to learn how we become dependent upon God. Many of us can look back in our lives and go, you know what? It's because I failed here, because I ruined my, my testimony here, that God humbled me to a point in time where he could really use my life. Amen. And some of us, because we're so hard-headed and we're so stupid, God says, you know what? If that's what it's going to take, roll on. And he takes his hand off of us and we fall into ourselves flat on our face. And then in that moment, we say, God, I need you. And he says, now, now we can work. Let's get this unrighteousness dealt with. And it's that humbling that so many times we need. And what we saw is the shared identity that they have as a body. Guess what? It also is true in the church. Us. Guess what? We're a local body. 
And so why? This is why we need to address our own hearts, look into our own hearts, check our own hearts to see if we have secret sin, things that we're trying to hide from, from God and hide from even from ourselves sometimes. Something we know we're wrong. God's saying, hey, look, I need you to bring it to the surface. I need you to deal with it. We do it individually, but we also do it collectively. We do it as a body. That's why when we do the Lord's Supper, what do we talk about before, before observing the Lord's Supper? We always deal with sin. Because we're remembering the selfless sacrifice of our Lord, the holiness of God. And so before we take part in that memorial, what do we do? Is we cleanse ourselves of those things that are not pleasing to God. We admit and bring them to Him and we lay them at His feet. Now saying, I'm sorry, it's kind of like with your kids. You know, I remember my brother and I when we were little. My brother would hit me. I was four years before, four years and two quarter months younger. So when you're like 10, he's 10, I'm six. That's a pretty unfair advantage. And he'd be like, you know, knock me on the ground. My mom's like, tell him you're sorry. Sorry. Now, that's not the kind of sorry God's talking about. He's talking about a heartfelt, broken heart when we say, hey, Lord, you know what? I am wrong. I know it. We know where we come from. If, we've, if there's been a point in time in our lives when we got saved, man, and God broke our hearts, and man, we just turned into a puddle before him. That's what he's talking about. That's the kind of heart that he's looking for. And it's not a matter of words. It's a matter of, of the heart. And what we find is the fact that we're supposed to cleanse our hearts. And what we see, listen to Paul as Paul challenges the church of Corinth. Church of Corinth, when you read Corinthians, what you find is the fact that he's dealing with sin. The church has got problems. And he's constantly rebuking them and trying to straighten them out. And what we find here in, in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7 through 8, listen to what he says. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Talking about the church itself. Get the sin out of the church, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. You're sinless, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Remember what this is about. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let us be righteous before God. And listen, as a church... If we want to be used mightily by the Lord, man, if we want to make a difference for eternity, if we want to make a difference, we've got to deal with secret sin. We must address the things in our lives that are not pleasing to God because guess what? Not only is it affecting you, but guess what? It affects us. Yeah. As a body, we're trying to do what's right. We're trying to do something to be effective for the cause of Christ. And how do we address it as a church? Individually, we have to deal with our own hearts. Only We only know our own hearts. But as a church, how do we do it? We do it through preaching. Through preaching. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. Paul is exhorting Timothy, and listen to what he says. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, and his appearing and his kingdom. He says, look, because we know the judgment's coming, listen, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Reprove and rebuke, those are both negatives. Those are both confrontive. Understand, when we hear preaching, it should convict us, it should bring conviction, it should be confrontive, and it should also challenge us. Challenge it. Says, it says, exhort them with all long-suffering, patient kindness, and doctrine. Teach them the truth. And the problem we have with our world today is it's filled with churches that are not doing that very thing. There's a lot of teachers in the world. People love to get on TikTok or whatever else it is and give you a little grain of knowledge. Everybody's a teacher. Everybody's got all this wisdom. Well, the thing is, what happens? Teaching, you know what it does? It informs. You know what preaching does? It transforms. It changes. Yes. Amen. Changes lives. And because of Laodicean church that we are in right now, the church age that we're in where people are so filled with self, they're not big on transforming. You know what? They want to stay the way they are. They're comfortable with their situation as it stands. And listen, you know what happens? This is what happens. Paul tells us. Verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, right? What are they going to seek? They shall heap to themselves teachers, not preachers, teachers having itching ears. I know what I want, and I'm going to go where I get what I want to make me feel better about me. I'm going to be educated in the Word of God. I'm going to be able to talk to you about all kinds of Scripture. The problem is the application. It's one thing to have head knowledge. It's another thing to have heart knowledge. Listen, the difference between heaven and hell is this. From the head to the heart, it's about 14 inches. Right. A person who knows who God is is going to go straight to hell. A person who's received Christ by faith is going to go to heaven. Amen. You can all know all the Bible in the world and bust hell wide open. Amen. And have virtually zero biblical knowledge and a broken heart for who God is and recognize your sin, and be saved and on your way. 
to spend eternity with the Lord. Understand, notice what he says next. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. They won't want to hear preaching. They won't want to hear truth. They'll want to hear stories. How many people have gone to church and sat and listened to just a whole sermon of stories? Yeah, just people telling you about their life and all kinds of stuff like that. There's nothing wrong with personal anecdotes added in here and there, but there needs to be Scripture, man. The Word of God is what changes people's lives. It doesn't matter. They don't need to model ourselves after the preacher. They need to model themselves after the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our example. He's what we follow. So listen, we join, uh, and for those that join themselves to the body, some will say, hey, you know what, I'm going to find some place to just make me feel comfortable. But for those that will join themselves, there is a collective accountability, absolutely. But also as a church, but also as a body. We're individually accountable. Notice this. God names him. Verse 1. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And it's here that we see the harsh reality of God's all-seeing eye. He lists Achan by name. He lists his lineage, his parents, grandparents. He lists them. He tells us he's of the tribe of Judah. That's where the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So we know that, that Achan comes from good stock. He comes from a good origin. He's got a, a godly lineage. He's got godly upbringing. But what happens to him is that he defies God. Not because of his family, not because he was taught to. He was taught to do the other. But yet he defies God because he fulfills his lustly desires. Achan's sin is currently hidden. And currently the shame rests upon him and upon his brothers. But as God brings it to the surface and makes it evident, he will stand accountable on his own. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14 says this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Honor God. That's why we're here. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Can I just tell you, the chances are that there are Achans in this room today that have willfully stood against God and chosen their sin, not worrying about the results. And as a result, God will lift his hand off this church and we will struggle and try to figure out what's going on and we'll search and try all that we can and we'll pray and we'll find God. And you know what? Until God reveals it, we will all carry the rebuke, the accursed upon that. But you know what? God always brings things to the surface. That's what we just heard. And when he does, do we rip that person and tear them apart and attack them? No. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, teach us how we are to deal with it. As a church, we go to that person, we lovingly try to restore them. It's always a heart of restoration. We're not about judging anybody. We're not in a position to judge anybody. Hello, look who we are. Amen. Sinners saved by grace, man. All on our way to hell except for the grace of God. So instead of putting ourselves in a place where we're going to judge someone, we come alongside them and try to lift them up. We try to get them out of the miry clay. If they're in the mud, if they're in the muck, we try to get them out of there. Listen, that's got to be the heart of the church. And in doing so, we can restore them. And guess what that does? It lifts, lifts the reproof or lifts the, the issue off of the church. And we look at that on the church level, yes, but also as a body of believers as a whole. Recognize what's gone in our country. Individually, we have accountability to honor God, yes. But the problem is we're told not to compromise our faith. We're not to, supposed to indulge in the world. We learn this from the Word of God. We're not to compromise. But the problem is so many Christians have compromised. They're failing at this aspect of honoring God. And because of that, God has lifted his hand off of the church. Look around the world. Look at what people think of Christians. It's because it's accustomed as people have become consumed by the accursed things of the world. And just like Achan, man, they will stand accountable to God. Stand accountable to God for what they've done. As believers, man, standing ashamed before Almighty God. Because they couldn't get their hands off of what they told not to touch. God has established boundaries for how our life should be. We're supposed to be Christ-like. Yet people want to claim the name Christian but not live the life that shows and reveals who we are. Listen, carrying the title Christian and not living Christian is the worst thing you can possibly do for the cause of Christ. Hypocrisy destroys so many families. Why was I not raised in church? Because of hypocrisy. So the whole thing is, if we're going to claim Christian, let's live Christian. If you're going to not live Christian, don't claim it. Live like the world. That's why Jesus talks about the fact when he addresses the Laodicean church, be hot or be cold. He said, yeah, I, would, I would rather that you be hot or be cold. 
Because the problem is you're lukewarm, you're in the middle, you're not, you're, not, you're not helping me. You're more destructive than you can possibly imagine because people look at your life, you claim Christian, they look at your life and it does not line up and guess what they do? They go, you know what? Just like everything else, yeah. just a lie. They're not real. We must be real. Yeah. Because let me tell you this, we are going to stand accountable. Remember the wording in 12.4, in Ecclesiastes 12.4, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Look, man, I don't know where you stand with God. I have no idea if you have secret sin. I have no idea if you're struggling with something in your life. I don't know if, if that's where you're at or if you're in beautiful fellowship with Him. All I know is this, man, we're all individually accountable for the Lord. Every one of us. We will not escape the all-seeing eye of God. We're accountable to Him for every secret thing done in this life, whether it be good or evil. Notice the, the wording in 2 Corinthians 5.10, speaking of the judgment seat. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Ecclesiastes just said whether it's good or evil. See, that's the reality. And it's coming sooner than later. We look at our world today and we know that, man, the Lord is on his, on his way. And so we're understanding the accountability to our Savior. Recognize it. It shouldn't be because of the way it affects us, right? We shouldn't be accountable to God because, oh, you know what? This is going to be the, uh, the byproduct of me. No, we should be accountable to the Lord because we love him, because he loved us, because of the way that it impacts his heart when we don't live accountable, when we live our lives in sin. And the fact is, he's the one that gets the black eye. When these preachers or these Christians go out and they claim themselves to be one thing and they fall flat on their face, they don't get a black eye. The Lord does. We badmouth Him through our stupidity and our selfishness. And we must realize that if we will simply say, hey, you know what? That accountability to Him, that understanding that, listen, my heart is given to Him. If that is the case, if I do that, the influence of the world no longer draws me. Because understand what happens with us. The pull of the world is only as strong as the weakness of our faith. If our faith is broken and we're consumed with this world, Man, the world is going to draw us like nobody's business, man, like a moth to the flame. And when you find yourself, we've been talking about the works of the flesh week after week after week after week. I've spent the last year of my life pouring into that Wednesday night. And man, I need you to understand that, man, listen, when your flesh layer flares up, when you find yourself drawn to the world, God's telling you, warning light, guess what? You're not walking with me. You're not walking with me. You're not in the spirit. You're in the flesh. And it will lead you to destruction corruption, the warning, the parameters have been given that they have overstepped the bounds. And we understand that God, unfortunately, there is consequences. And we look at this next sin, or next point, number three, consequences of sin. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And listen, we're in the very near future, we're going to see how this all goes down, how they're going to suffer a humiliating defeat. And the results are going to shake them to their core. They are going to be overwhelmed by it. They'll be despondent. They're going to be broken. They're going to be bewildered by it. Because the people have confidence in God and His promise. God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. The problem is, again, remember, God's promise is only valid when we're faithful. He does not reward unrighteousness. He never has and He never will. And we look at this and we go, okay. Because of that simple truth, we can look at our world today. The church as a whole has embraced sin across the board. We can look at Christianity today and we can see the influence of the world. They have taken of the accursed thing. And yet still we expect to receive God's blessing. We still want God to keep his promises. But can I tell you as a whole that the church has kindled the anger of the Lord against itself by choice. We've embraced the world. We've embraced the world and its beliefs. And in compromising, what will happen is people go to churches where the word is compromised in order to make people feel more comfortable in their sin. I'm not lying. You can go to church today, and if you hear about sin, if you hear about hell, it's in a rare instance. And listen, we're not here to beat people up. We're just here to wake them up to the truth that God's accountability is real. What do we do in that situation? What do we do? How do we deal with it? Well, Jesus, the, the Lord told us through Paul in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. What did Paul say to him about that very environment, the one we're in right now? 
I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his judgment. We are going to be judged. Preach the word. Be instant in season. Be always prepared. Out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. He says, preach the word, Timothy. Timothy, When people embrace sin and call it liberty in the church, preach the word. When they trust earthly wisdom instead of God's wisdom, Timothy, preach the word. Amen. When they allow society to establish their beliefs instead of Scripture, preach the Word, Timothy. When they gobble up social media and neglect God's precepts, preach the Word. This is what God's calling us to do. When they put their faith in man and turn their back on God, Amen. preach the Word. Listen, not in anger, not in judgment, but in love. Listen, we're never going to argue people to Christ. Never. But we can love them to Christ. We can love them to Christ. What does it say in Ephesians 4, verses 4.15? says this, But speaking the truth in love, and the result may grow up into Him in all things. We start taking on the image of who it is we serve, which is the head, even Christ. Listen, to preach just simply means that we open our mouth and we talk about God. We tell the truth. It's not just something that I'm called to do. It's something we're all called to do. We're all to be preachers. We're all supposed to stand for the Word of God. Not again, not in anger, not in bludgeoning someone with the Word of God. You hear about people, like somebody, my grandmother, we always witnessed, we, my, we, she was called a velvet hammer. She'd be like, you know, if you ever talk to her, my, my short experiences with her, she'd always be like, you're going to hell. That's, that was the way she communicated, you're going to hell. That was her favorite phrase. I never, she never took us to church. I never heard the soft love of Christ but I heard all about going to hell. And there's unfortunately, there's a lot of people out in the world that that's the way they see God. They think that's the way it is. But that's not God. Yes, is hell a reality? Yes. But how does God get us there? Through love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He looked at the penalty that we would suffer and He said, you know, because I love them so much, I'll suffer for them. And that's the message that people need to hear. That's the truth in love. And as we look at the landscape of our world, we see the consequences of sin. There is no doubt we see the consequences of sin in the eyes of broken and hopeless people. Amen. We see it in shattered and destroyed marriages and relationships. Mm-hmm. We see it in the cultural rot that has taken hold of our youth. Amen. And we see it in the complacency of the church. It's evident. But you know, it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way. There was a day, man... When God was reverenced. Listen, when family values meant something. When the word of God was the source of wisdom in the world. Where the church, man, it was on fire for the lost. And it had a a mission. And it was evident every single day it was trying to break through. So what happened? Well, the church in America, what did it do? It became very comfortable with experiencing God's blessings. God's blessing. So we don't really need to do that much. We can take our eyes off the prize. And what happens is we then shifted ourselves from being accountable to God to being accountable to to self. What do I do to make me happy? Not what do I do to make God happy? And it's that selfish mindset. And just like Achan, what happened? We then decided to overstep the bounds, to trespass against God, the boundaries that he set in order to fulfill the lusts of our flesh. And here we live. Because you know what happened to them? The church? They brought. We brought sin in the camp. It's on all of us. It's on all of us. I know this has been an encouraging message. (laughs) And you're probably thinking, okay, so pastor, so we just give up. That's the way it's the answer? That's what we do? No. No. Because the cool thing about impossible situations mm. is for us, yes, it can be overwhelming. But for God, it's an opportunity. Amen. It's an opportunity. Amen. How do we see an obstacle? It's either there to stop us or it's an opportunity for God to do something great. By changing our perspective upon the way that we see the life, we can change the way that, that God can work in our, in our, in our hearts. 
Listen, if two men are standing, look at a mountain. One man's a mountain climber. He looks at the mountain. There's another man over here who's a traveler who's just trying to get to the other side of the mountain. One guy goes, that thing's there to kill me. This is great. Awful. Look at that horrific, awful, terrible obstacle in my life. And I'm going to spend my whole day complaining about that obstacle. Or this guy goes, man, do you see that? <laughs> oh, no, man. The view from the top of that bad boy is going to be awesome. I'm going to rock it out. Let's get going, guys. Complete same thing. Two human beings standing in a mountain. It's a complete, it's all about perspective. What's our perspective? Is it about us or is it about him? If it's on you, you're done. But if it's on God, it doesn't matter. Listen to what he says in Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus said, uh, Jesus behold, behold, but Jesus beheld them, I'm excited, I'm sorry, and said unto them, With men, this is impossible. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Notice the word he included, all things. All things are possible. Listen, God can give hope to the hopeless and the broken. God can restore shattered and destroyed families. He can rescue our youth from a culture of death. And he can set the church on fire for the souls of men. He can absolutely do it. How does he do it? How does that affect us? Guess what? It comes down to our individual responsibility. How does he do it? One life at a time. Not by us going on TV and broadcasting or having a TV show, but no, impact one person. Help them to see the love of God. How did someone, how were you reached? God used someone in your life to influence you, either praying for you or sharing the gospel with you or preaching, whatever it was. But the thing is, God expects us to fulfill our responsibility. The problem is if we have secret sin in our lives, guess what? His hand is not upon us to bless us and to use us. As a church, we can affect the entire body. And so what do we have to do individually? We look in our own hearts we cleanse ourselves before the Lord, and in doing so, God will put His hand upon our lives. But the key is we must take our hands out away from the accursed thing. You can't be playing with the world and expect for God to use your life. It just isn't going to happen. God's expectation of us is that we would separate ourselves from that and give our hearts to Him. And we look at the world around us instead of being overwhelmed by it or broken by it or discouraged by it. Preach the word. That's what will heal the broken. That will restore families. That's what they need. That's what we need. Preach the word. The question is, are we willing? Are we willing? I, every week I, we talk about taking tracks. Man, we should have tracks at hand at all times. Every person you meet should receive the gospel. You know what I say to people? I say, you know what? I'd love to give you a little Bible study. This is the one that changed my life 20 years ago. It saved my life. I sure would appreciate it if you take the time to read it. I can't tell you. I've not had one person reject it. I had a Jehovah's Witness. Day before yesterday, she took it. I was like, yes! Unbelievable! She goes, I don't have anything for you. I was like, that's perfectly fine. I got something for you. Boom. But you know what? Hearing that it changed our lives, that's just a little glimpse of our testimony. What if God could use that gospel track we had a woman that I gave one to the mountains when we were come back from our camping trip. This is whenever that was, October. She just texted me. Was it last week? She said, I've been looking at that thing you gave me over and over and over again. And I just had to reach out. God is working through that silly little piece of paper with a simple little Bible study that walks them through the gospel. And you know what it asks in the front? It says, do you have love, joy, and peace? world is desperate for all three. Amen. And they don't have any idea where they're going to get it. So what if we could share the truth? Man, I know this is a hard message, but listen, we need it. We need it. It's time to get serious. 2022, man, we have a year. What if God gives us one more year? What if this is it? Right. 365 days, and at the end of this, we're gone. It could be today. But if he gives us one year, and we've screwed up to this point, and he says, Run. Do what you can. Get out of the world. Set your eyes on the heart of the, of the people of this world. Love me. Display me. And reach the planet for the cause of Christ. There is no telling what we can do if we will just give our hearts to him and stop living for ourselves and live for him. Amen. I'm sorry if I beat you up. I beat me up too. But I love you guys. I want to see us do something great. I don't want you to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and stand there ashamed and me stand behind you with my head hung low because I didn't do my best. You stand accountable. I do too. 
I got to do my best to inspire you to do that. And if we will, we can make a difference. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for the message. And uh, Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, if there's secret sin in our lives, God, help us to see it. Help us to see it. Help us to, to repent of it. Help us, Lord, to surrender it to you. You tell us to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And Lord, that sin is a care. It's a, it's a weight. Lord, if there's someone here today and they're bearing that weight, God, I do pray that they would bring it to your feet. And Lord, they would lay it there and say, God, I cannot do this. Walk away, surrendering to you. God, I pray that you help our hearts and our minds to be receptive to what it is you expect of us. Help us, Lord, as you put people in our path that we might be a witness to them. Lord, to share the love of Christ. We're not to go out there and fight with the world. We're to go out and reach the world. We're to be emissaries, ambassadors, medics on the battlefield of life. We run out and we rescue. Lord, we pray. God, I ask that you'll guide us, that you'll strengthen us, that you'll um, use us for your glory. Their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, look, you know, Pastor, I don't know where I stand with God. Listen, hey, I understand. There are plenty of people that are religious. There are people, plenty of people that believe in God that are on their way to hell. Not because they're worse than anybody else. Just because they've never done what God requires. If I want to get into Yale University and I put penance on my wall and I, I know everything about Yale, but I never fill out an application, I will not get into Yale. And Jesus Christ said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man come to the Father but by me. He said, I am the only way in. And if you're here and you're trusting in anything outside of Christ, outside of a surrendered heart, understanding the gift that he's offered, you're on your way to hell. You're watching this recorded. Listen, I'm not telling you because I, I, I'm, I'm judging you. But for the grace of God, I'd be in the same shoes you are. But someone stepped into my life and told me the truth. And it's a matter of surrender. It's all a matter of surrender. As the Lord reaches out to us with loving loving arms to draw us in. All we have to do is receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we'll call out to God by faith and we'll trust him with our, with, our, with, our, with our soul and we'll believe and trust that he is who he says that he is, man, God will save us. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. Or if you're online, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you realize right now that you don't know him, but you need to. He's calling you right now. This is all the balls in our court. We receive it by faith. So the heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, I'm going to lead you in prayer. It's, it won't be a magic prayer. There's no, no power in the words. It's the surrendered heart behind it that saves the soul. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, repeat in your heart and mind after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for my sin. I understand that you love me and incredibly you died for me. I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a home in heaven. I trust and believe that you died for me. Lord, help me to live for you. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. That's